Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On today's podcast, Limo swings by to share how a drag queen stole one of his jokes. And then Garth Jones returns with his segment, Pass the Amel, as we discuss Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. My name is Justin Hamilton, and three days ago I saw a vehicle that could all that tanker and a big squid. today. I really enjoyed this one. I was posting stuff on social media about this podcast and I try not to be on the socials too much unless it is to post stuff or interact with you. I don't want to get caught in one of those spirals that can keep you up past 3am and you're wondering what just happened? You know, one minute I was reading a story about Steph Curry and now I'm in a deep dive on how America is going to allow AI to control its weapons defences. FYI, a real thing. Let's not linger on that and bring the mood down. Mildly terrifying. And when I say mildly terrifying, a poor use of the word mildly. Anyway, I've already gone on a tangent. So I'm online, I'm posting some stuff, and then I see this weird back and forth between Limo and a drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under Edition. And I started to read it. And then I thought, what am I doing? Limo is one of my oldest friends on the Australian comedy circuit. Like, we started within six months of each other back in Adelaide at Bolt's Cafe. So why am I reading this when I can just call him? Like, that's old-fashioned, isn't it? (laughs) So then I call him, and then he starts telling me this story, and I was laughing so much, I just had to stop him and say, hey, do you want to talk about this on the podcast? And ta-da, here we are. So Limo is one of my closest friends, and this is such a funny story. It's just such a Limo story, so I really hope you enjoy this. Then we have another mate of mine, Garth Jones, with his second instalment of his Osploitation segment, Pass the Amel, and we are digging into the themes and world-building of Mad Max 2. 
I recently rewatched all of the Mad Max movies for this podcast, and damn, young Mel Gibson is so good. He's one of those guys that I can enjoy his movies up until a certain point. Is that fair? I don't know. He's beyond problematic to me, but it is almost like young Hamo can enjoy Mel's work up until older Hamo learns what a piece of shit he is in the real world. It's mainly his Australian movies that I still love. I can't go past Gallipoli, The Year of Living Dangerously, these Mad Max movies. Anyway, that's a topic for another time. This is a fun chat with Garth that's coming up after Limo. Quick mention that I've had a number of people asking me when we'll be releasing the live podcast we recorded a couple of weeks ago. That is on the way. Uh, the recording takes up a lot of channels that are used to record the whole thing, and it's kind of beyond my producing capabilities. Well, not beyond. It's just a lot of work, and I have uh, a fair bit going on at the moment, and I don't quite have that clear window where I can just spend hours on this. So I've got producer extraordinaire and all-round nice guy, Sean Allen, who is sorting this out for me. He's already sent me a rough copy. So I'll grab some time this week to listen to that. And I think some of the channels were mildly corrupted, nothing bad, just a few lines here or there. So I'll just check that out. And I reckon it will be up within the next couple of weeks. Thanks for asking, though. I really appreciate everyone reaching out who couldn't be in Sydney checking in when they're going to be able to listen to it. It's really funny. There's some interesting stuff discussed. It was so good in the room. The audience was great. So I'll get that to you as soon as I can. Okay, time to bring in Limo, who can tell us this hilarious story. And if you're a long-time listener, I hope you marvel at my ability to somehow make a spat w- between Limo and a drag queen somehow relate to a Christopher Nolan movie. Have a drink when you hear it. Have a little shot. It's your day. I am nothing if not consistent. Here's Limo. We've got Lemo in with us, and it's interesting because I haven't spoken to you for a little bit. We we speak fairly regularly, but, you know, you've been really busy, I've been really busy. And then uh, I look online, and you seem to be in a feud with a drag queen, is that correct? Which seems really dangerous because they're very funny, and they're very acerbic. And I, I worried for you, and I'm also curious, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> I love I love that a drag queen has brought us together, by the way. Yeah, finally. Um, now, so I oh, – finally. And you're right. You don't want to get into a blue with a drag queen because they are, they are funny mm. and uh, they've, got, they've got game, drag mm. queens. So I have a joke, Hamo, as you may well know, uh, which goes like this. I talk about being old. And I say, um, well, you know, when you turn 100, you get a letter from the Queen. And, of course, when you turn 16, you get a text from Prince Andrew. Right? <laughs> pretty, yeah, pretty happy with the joke. Right. And it's been going very well. It's been playing beautifully. It's actually amazing how often that gets a, ooh, from an audience. Like people protecting the... Pedophile's best mate. Yeah, that's confusing, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. So, anyway, that's my joke. It's, it's really been going, people love it. And I tweeted it last year because in my mind, I thought to myself, you know what? This is the kind of joke that's going to get stolen. 
So I'm going to tweet it to kind of protect it or to at least date stamp it as being my joke. That's funny. What a funny thing to do. It's like to protect it, you put it out there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I want this property to remain mine. And I just thought, bugger it, I'm going to I'm gonna tweet it. So I tweeted it. It went nuts, got thousands of retweets and likes and turned up on a, a whole bunch of different websites around a place. I think it turned up on a TV show in England as well. And it was huge. Anyway, I'm, doing, I'm still doing it in my material, in my show. And then RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under starts. Okay. And Kel... My wife is obsessed with the show, yes. like properly obsessed. It's constantly on in our house. Even if it's a replay of season three or whatever, she will have it on all the time in our house. Anyway, of course, she's excited about Drag Race Down Under. She's watching it two Saturdays ago, and she just I just hear her in the lounge room go, Oh, my God, your Prince Andrew joke is on RuPaul. And she stopped it and rewound. <laughs> and there's a drag queen called Anita, Anita Wiglet, right? <laughs> Anita's a good name for those sort of play on words yeah. names. So Anita Wiglet has a character, a Queen Elizabeth character. And Queen Elizabeth, in inverted commas, is talking to RuPaul and says, you know, Ru, we have a tradition in our family uh, that when someone turns 100, I send them a letter. But when they turn 16, Prince Andrew sends them a text. Wow. So it's, ex- it's the exact same joke. So I get so I get Kel to film the joke and then film my reaction to it. I put it up on Instagram with my tweet from last year. And I, put, and I tag in Anita Wiglet and I say, hey, Anita, if you need a hand writing any more jokes, just let me know. Oh, is this possibly a new career move? <laughs> hey, maybe, yeah, yeah, writing for drag queens. Because as much as it's annoying, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to come out of the blocks being a real dick about it, you know. So, but I thought that was passive aggressive enough, and, <laughs> you know, to, to not be, to not come out too punchy. But it kind of made the point, hey, yeah. you've stolen my joke. Yeah. Um, and I get no reply. So then I go to Anita. Now I'm starting to get a bit punchy. I go to Anita Wiglet's Instagram feed and I see that she is doing a tour of New, a comedy tour of New Zealand. Because Anita Wiglet, I'm pretty sure, is Kiwi, right? Right. So I put a comment under the promo bit for that tour saying, oh, will you be using my Prince Andrew joke on the tour? Being a bit more direct now, trying to get a response. Yeah. And I don't get and I don't get a response. Then Husey comes on my breakfast radio show and Husey brings it up because he's seen my Instagram post. Yeah. So he's like, I can't believe Lemo's getting materials stolen by drag queens on RuPaul's drag race. So I said, Yeah, I know, Husey, it's crazy. And then we kind of talk about it on our radio show, we play the audio. Then the next day I go on Mick Malloy's National Drive show. And I play the audio and I talk about it right. on Mixed National Dance Show. So I'm using every outlet available to me to put it out there. Right? Then Anita Wiglet replies to me. And 
I'll read it out to you. And where, sorry, where does uh, Anita reply to you? Is it uh, a DM? Is it on your Instagram page? Initially, it's on my Insta page. That's the first contact. It is on my Insta page. And Anita Wiglet says the following. Now, I put it up there, and a few people comment, like, you know, M. Rusciano, who's in tight with the drag queens, she writes, ooh, the tea is scalding hot. Right. Which made me laugh. It's a Queen Elizabeth thing. Yes. Peter Helly put a comment there and a few others. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> newest first. Oh, my God, I can't find it. She wouldn't have deleted it, surely. Oh, well, this is anyway, a turn of events. It is a turn of events. Um, Breaking news here on Big Squid. <laughs> yeah, Anita Wiglet has deleted. Okay, let's see if it's here. <laughs> oh, my God, I can't believe it's not there. And so do you reckon it's been deleted? Or you? Uh, I can't find it. That's right. weird. I could have sworn it was. But mind you, I'm not the most tech savvy bloke in the bloody world. I could be looking at a wrong spot. Anyway, the initial message from Anita Wiglet said, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry. Um, this is really embarrassing." Um, so while I, you're looking for it, is is so she said what happened is. She was initially working on a joke to do with writing letters. Yes. The Queen writing letters when people turn 100. Yes. And one of her friends said to her, oh, why don't you say when Prince Andrew turns 16, he sends him a text? Yes. And that person later admitted that they had read it in a tweet. Right. Your tweet. Which my tweet. Yeah. So Anita Wiggler, very, very apologetic, says, I'm so sorry. How embarrassing. Um and then I said, hey there, no worries. I get how these things can happen. Let's have some fun with it on radio. Because by now we're trying to get her on our radio show. Yes. You know? She says, fuel, as in fuel, I guess that I'm saying no worries. Says, I'm genuinely so sorry. The Catholic guilt is real. <laughs> Hopefully Stan gives us the go ahead because uh, I would love to have some fun with it. Love in capital letters. And I say... Ha, yes, I also understand the Catholic guilt, which I do. We're almost flirting with each other now. Yeah, I was about to say, say, are you about to leave, Kel? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. I say, Stan, say we can only chat when you are out of the competition or in the top three. So we'll be patient and talk to you. And one of those two things happens. And then I say, hopefully it's top three. And then I do the emoji of the dancing girl with the... With the dress right. flying out, right? Right. So now we're flirting. Yeah. And she says, oh, thank you. Uh, damn those contracts. Sounds great. I look forward to chatting. Love heart, love heart, love heart. So that's yeah. our, been our conversation since. <laughs> well, that's... So now we're, we're besties. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Good thing that you went in uh, passive-aggressive to begin with and then just went direct. Like, I think you played it well. Because going in all guns blazing would have left me no wiggle room. Yes. And even though I even though I was annoyed, a little part of me was like, hey, this this is a massive TV show. Yeah. And this is international. If I can work somehow, you know, bring her attention to it and work with it in a smart way, then maybe there's something in this for me as well. 
Yes. So it's funny, though, because you put it on Twitter to timestamp it so then everyone would know it's yours, and someone read it on Twitter, and then that's how Anita got it. So there's a loop yeah. here. This is, this, is like, <laughs> this is like the joke writing equivalent of the movie Tenet, where we are going backwards and forwards through time with cause and effect. This is great. Yes. <laughs> I thought I was so smart. Yeah. And then, but I am smart because I am able to use it, but the only reason I need to use it is because I, yeah. Yeah. Because I did it in the first place. That's what I love so about back, it. come back to bite me on the ass. And even worse, right, so the show has gone to the UK. The BBC has taken the joke out of the broadcast because it's too hot for oh. British television. Right. And I'm like... I want to get cancelled in the UK. Yeah. I don't want to need a wiggler to get cancelled in the UK using my joke. I want to get cancelled. That's my cancellation. This is bullshit. <laughs> I don't want my cancellation stolen. Yeah. God. Well, that, that needs to be the title of your next show. Cancel me. <laughs> yeah. So that joke, yeah, I actually, I only just literally thought of this right now when you said that is I think in this will now evolve into a bit about yes. the theft of the joke. Yes. Yeah. Well, isn't that great? It's nothing better than having a joke that now finds, like it's a perfect encapsulation of a joke and now it finds a new context, which means you get to have more fun with it down the track yes. as well. It's interesting, yes. isn't it? The, you know, when you were first talking about it, my kind of in the back of my head reaction is, I wonder if she got it from someone else. And as soon as you said, ah, oh, the friend heard it, I, I reckon that kind of thing happens all the time. I think I've even been on the receiving end of it where you're, you're playing around with something and then someone says, oh, you should say this. And you go, yeah, I should say that. And then you do it a couple of times and then you suddenly realise, oh, do you know that's such and such a joke? And you go, oh, motherfucker. Okay, I'll take that out. Yeah, 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 yeah I know. I've had that a few times as well where mates – and you and you have a moment where you think to yourself, "My Jesus, that is a good line." Yeah. Well, well done. And then later on, when you think about it more, you go, "I oh, know that line's way too good for them." Oh, that, like, especially <laughs> you hanging out with all your accountant way. friends, and you're thinking, "Fuck, they've become wordsmiths." No, they haven't. They're just really good at retaining yeah. facts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this was a circumstance in which. My material being stolen has kind of been made for a fun couple of weeks, really. Yeah. Just mucking around, mucking around with it, making contact with the person who stole it. They've apologised. I'm not really that upset. I'm enjoying the attention, to be honest with you. The yeah. attention the joke's getting because it's yeah. one of my little babies. You, yeah. you know what? It, a lot of people don't understand that, but it is. It's like, oh, it's nice. That's It's getting the attention. Oh, yeah. Well, so um, many so- jokes that you write, you know, it feels like you throw out into the ether and even when you have good gigs, you're always kind of wanting someone to say afterwards, hey, I really like this joke. And you say, thank you. That's great. I really yeah. like that joke as well. But it's very rare that anyone pinpoints anything. They'll just kind of tell you, and rightfully so, they had a good time, but we're so fucking needy. How can you just be a little bit more specific about which bits to really make me feel good about myself? What was your what was your favourite bit? It's like that famous story about the comedian that picks a girl up in Las Vegas. Oh yeah, and and 
they're back in his hotel room and they're in bed. And he says, uh, oh, they're, they're chatting. And she says, I actually saw your show tonight. And he looks at her and says, the early show or the late show? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a comedy thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need specifics. I was a little better at the late show. The early show kind of sucked. Up. Yeah. Well, I guess it must have been the late show because they, she probably wouldn't have been there if it was the early show, right? That's what's going yeah, on there. True. Have you had material true. stolen before? Yeah, I apparently I had nearly a whole ten minute set taken and done at Comics Comedy Cellars in Adelaide. Oh right. Because remember there used to be a comedy school there and they never really told the students at the comedy school that stealing material was bad. Yes. In fact, sometimes I believe they would encourage it. Yes. Just get some material off a good comedian to start with just to get your confidence up. This was thinking. Um, and then, you know, segue into writing your own gear. Oh, yeah. So someone told me that they went there one night and they saw a whole 10-minute block of my material. Wow. That's amazing, yeah. isn't it? The I remember that school was definitely giving out uh, other people's material because I won't mention the person's name because I don't I don't know how much they perform anymore and it wasn't their fault. But a friend of ours back in Adelaide in 1995 was new on the scene and he had a killer set. Like it was a really great sort of opening yeah. seven minutes. And then I remember he went and performed at the ESPY in Melbourne on a, one of those Sunday nights, uh, Sunday afternoon shows, yes. and he did the routine and it died. Like, and it was the first time he had a routine that had just gotten nothing. And then when he went out the back, right. Matt King pushed him up against the wall because he'd just done a whole f- famous part of Matt King's material. Oh, no. And he had no <laughs> idea. Like, the guy's really raw. He's oh, yeah. like six to eight months into it. And I, I think that's the dangerous thing when you're starting out. I think there is a lot of emulation and there's a lot of, oh, yeah, I'll say this and I'll say this. And you've got to learn those lessons really quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm much more lenient on brand new comics than I am established comics. Oh, yeah, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And, I mean, I'm sure I've had other material taken over the years. But I, and I have actually have a memory of being at a gig now and a comic doing a few lines of mine and me watching them do it but it made me think they mustn't realize has it been have they stolen it off someone else or has someone given it to them because surely they wouldn't perform it in front of me well the dangerous thing is uh you know, you pick up on your friend's mannerisms. Like I I often, if I accidentally watch anything of me, <laughs> which is a real bummer every time I watch it, but if I accidentally yeah. see me performing, I can sit there and I'm like, oh, yeah, I can see a little bit of you in my performance. I can see a little bit of Tom Gleason, all the people that you've really hung around closely as mates. Yeah. And you do pick up on your friend's mannerisms. So it makes sense that at some point, you know, over 20-plus years, you could have one of your friend's routines sitting in the back. But I th- but I think the difference is you can tell when it's word perfect or when it's just been absorbed and it comes out differently, don't you think? Don't you think that's the difference? Yeah, absolutely. Because I've had moments where in my head I've thought to myself, I've gone both ways, where I've thought to myself, is that my joke? Yeah. Where a joke's in my head. 
yeah. a little root, like a line or something. But I've honestly thought, is that mine or have I flogged that from somewhere? Right. Has that just morphed into my brain? Um, or the other way where um, – so that's where it's actually someone else's joke and I think maybe it's mine, yeah. but it's not. And the other times I've got bits of my own that I've written, but I have little moments where I think, hang on, is that someone else's? Did right. I steal that? But actually, as it turns out, it's actually mine. That's funny. It's almost like so you have... You, do, you, can get, uh, you, know, you can get confused. And it's funny you mentioned me and Gleason because the two people I am probably most like on stage with the way I talk and little mannerisms are you and Gleason. Oh, right. Well. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah, it's funny. Sometimes it? I'll do little things where I can I feel myself looking like you or Gleason when I say it. Yeah. And that's that's years yeah. of absorbing each other's mannerisms while hanging out. Yeah, totally. And you know, you think back twenty years or even, you know, fifteen years, think about the number of young comedians you saw who were kind of doing a version of Judith Lucy mm. or Hughie mm. or Greg Fleet on stage. Yeah. And I know now in radio, there's I can think of two off the top of my head, and there's probably more young radio dudes who sound almost exactly like Hamish Blake. Oh, interesting. But, but I get it because they're radio nerds. They would have listened to every minute of Hamish on radio. Yeah. They love him. And they just end up sounding, you know, sounding like them. It's one of the reasons I don't listen to any comedy podcasts because I think comedy podcast, or I think podcasting in general is such an intimate experience because it's often, it's it's ninety nine percent of the time, it, bordering on a hundred percent of the time, by yourself doing something else. So, you know, if you're going yeah. for a run and you're listening to a podcast, who knows what shit is sinking in to the subconscious. And yes, that's yeah, when you yeah. get yourself in trouble. So at least if I know I'm on stage and I ad lib something and I don't know where it's come from, at least it's probably me just telling you my opinions about the NBA. <laughs> and it's not something that's seeped into your brain when you weren't concentrating on a comedy podcast. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, it's so funny. It's almost you get to a point where you have to almost put up certain barriers for yourself to make sure that you stay pure. Mm. And when you and when you watch a lot of comedy, it just that really easily happens. Yeah. You know. See, I think there's one thing I've had done a bit over the years is you know often you'll watch another comedian and something in their routine will give you an idea mm. or either a fresh joke of your own or yes an idea for something to add to yours. So I've more than once been in a comedy club watching a comic and they've said something and I've laughed and then I've got my phone out or my pen and I've yep. made a note. Yeah. And it would have looked to a casual onlooker like I'm just writing down their fucking joke. <laughs> you know, it's only a giveaway when you yelled out, can you repeat that last line again, please? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, how did it start? Uh, that is so yeah. funny. Well, uh, it's fascinating to hear. And do you think that there is a Venn diagram somewhere where it's limo and drag queens and the intersection is how big? 
<laughs> well, I know it's at least one joke big at yeah. the moment. One <laughs> percent. I, mean, I never would have. I never would have penciled in a lot of crossover between my gear and your drag queen material. But hey, you know, uh, perhaps there's more floating around out there. Yeah, who knows? But, hey, look, Anita Wiglet has taken this joke to the world, so. You know, I prefer it was Limo taking this joke to the world, but look, let's send it on a journey anyway. Well, I hope that you get the recognition that you deserve and I hope that you get cancelled by the UK and a lot of hate messages on the social medias for making such a crass joke about such a good man. <laughs> I know, he's a, he's a wonderful man and his, you know, his contribution to the public is highly underrated. So yeah, I just want to be—I just want to be cancelled in the UK, uh, and I'm going to have to think up another way to make that happen now. So. Well, let's let's workshop that uh, offline, so someone listening to this podcast doesn't come in and, and swoop in on your new yes. joke. I don't want to see it in the finale of RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under. Um, anyway, in the meantime, I'm now barracking for Anita Wiggler in a weird twist. <laughs> I'm cheering for the person who stole my joke. Well, why wouldn't you? Obviously, has good taste in gags. It's still a reflection on you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Okay, thanks, Limo. Uh, Thank you, mate. Time to bring in my mate, Garth Jones. Since it's only the second time we've done this segment, just a little reminder what inspired this. You may have not heard the first one or it's been a little while since we did the first one. Garth and I have been mates for a long time. We've worked together on numerous projects. His love of the osploitation genre has kept me entertained for a long time now. That's just us hanging out. And I was like, oh, I thought you might like to hear him talk about this too. So if you're a fan of this genre or you're new to it, It feels like it is completely in the big squid wheelhouse. And if you're enjoying these chats, please let Garth know online. I'm really keen for you to let any of my guests know that they're doing good work when you have the opportunity. Uh, He has uh, an ongoing newsletter where you can check out some of his extra work. Uh, You can also check out his Instagram page, which has some uh, great imagery on it. So anyway, he's great. I'm also going to post on our private Facebook Big Squid page, his interview with the curator of the Mad Max Museum. So if you want to go over there, you can have a read of it. Remember, anyone can join. And if you're already there, go and check it out. I love Garth's commitment, not only to the genre, but also because he produced this intro for our segment we call... I love it. As I already told you, we're discussing Mad Max 2, or uh, as it was called in the rest of the world, The Road Warrior. It is one of the most influential movies of not just Australian cinema, but movies worldwide. If you've never seen it before, you will recognise the aesthetic. And actually, you might think, oh, I've seen this before, but that's kind of like watching Pulp Fiction and having the same reaction. You know, when you're watching it and you think, oh, God, I've seen so many movies like this, and then you have to remind yourself, yeah, this was the one that started this kind of way of making films so the aesthetic in this film it has been copied a lot it's a great movie and this is a really fun chat so let's do this this is what it has come to look out there they're coming back 
here is where it shall be decided. Here it is. Greetings from the Humongous. In a world without gas. The Humongous rules the wasteland. I'm gravely disappointed that you wish to take the gasoline out of the wasteland. Defend the fuel. We'll never walk away! Give me the pump, the gasoline, the whole compound. This is a land that prays for a hero. Well, if anyone's gonna get in there, it's gonna be you. This is Mad Max 2. I've seen driving like that, man. The warrior of the road. You're okay by me, pal. Got to hand it to you, Treasure. The last of the V8 interceptors. Every day we get weaker while they get stronger. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. Now, to do the job, I need some high-octane gasoline. You've got yourself a deal. You can run, but you can't hide! You're going to crash? crash through. I was wrong about you. I'm sorry. When it's every man for himself. And there's no place left to run. Still out there. Somewhere. Mad Max 2. So we're talking Mad Max 2, and it's a pretty fascinating film when you specifically compare it to the first film. And in this one, what are the hallmarks of the osploitation genre that we're looking for? Uh, I suppose primarily there's a whole bunch of uh unfortunately exploitation exploitation tropes as well like there's right. the you know the stuff that we don't really want to look for in film anymore yeah like the, you know, the there's a couple of sexual assault scenes i suppose that oh. aren't particularly you know uh on point these days right um we're not really into those um <clears throat> so we'll ignore those because uh re-watching it was pretty pretty confronting 40 years down the line we just they're not really something that show up in cinema anymore are they no not at all and it's i'm glad that you said that because it's kind of it's pretty full-on in the first one as well like Mm. there's an awful scene with someone who has just been raped running across the field yes and it's and that scene and even the the victim who's left behind and this one again there's just that gratuitous the very very gross binoculars scene with the oh my god yeah Uh, yeah (laughs) it's funny i had not remembered really any of those aspects of the no. film, it, all the all the things that I remember from the first and the second film, are 
quite the broader strokes and the the set pieces and those little things uh, I guess are what make it the mm. exploitation yeah exactly yeah. and just had completely forgotten about it yep um, and I, I suppose yeah it's the ad hoc nature of how things are put together like you know I having gone and looked at the some of the original pieces recently yeah uh, just the low budget aesthetic yeah <laughs> and you know sort of everything's on a shoestring uh, but everything's really compellingly within a world uh, that's been constructed yeah uh, on no budget yeah and so do you think those things uh, so it's it's no budget which uh, is part of the aesthetic and it's these titillating scenes that are there to help sell it is that there, what they're there, there for I, I suppose there are things that are very yeah, I guess that are the contentious and uh, you know meant to make it uh, yeah, uh, exploitation. Yeah, in general, yeah, like it's not it's not a cannibal holocaust or anything. No, um, but you know there are aspects of it that are very transgressive, especially yeah. if you through the lens of. 2021 yeah yeah mm. definitely yeah i could imagine people not being warned hearing oh this legendary film mm. and i think that happens a lot with all sorts of uh, entertainment and pop culture through the years they are of their time and invariably what influences us and the things that we remember are the parts that aren't of the time they're kind of they're kind of uh, legendary, aren't they? And yeah, the iconic moments. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, when you look back, there's so much stuff that's problematic. Um, and, you know, I was discussing this with my friend uh, Simon Sherry, who's a DVD designer the other, um, Blu-ray designer the other day. Right. Uh, and yeah, as you watch history encroach and, you know, as you see things consumed by what becomes problematic yeah. <laughs> as the years roll by, um, it's, yeah, I, just, I guess it's the, just a case of how people's standards change. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we'll talk about the other Mad Max movies later, but it's almost like you can use them as a litmus test for where things were. Because, you know, the first movie is quite full-on and quite aggressive, mm. and then this one becomes quite campy. Yes. And almost a little bit... Almost like... It's the Kiss Army that took over. And right? there's a fun kid sidekick. And <laughs> yeah. And then you get to the third film, and that's a Steven Spielberg movie. Exactly, yeah. Yep. And then you get to Fury Road. And which he, he goes, yeah, he flips the script and sort of takes us down the road of maybe <clears throat> what Virginia Hayes' character might have been. Right. In the second one. Right. <laughs> if she'd actually had any agency. Yes. Or a name. Well, it's funny, she's uh, the warrior woman. Yeah. Is, it's interesting... So I've got this in the little squid bits later, but she was originally written as a male character. Right. And The Golden Youth was written as a girl, and they they swapped the two. Right. And Miller was a bit, it doesn't matter. Like, they can be whatever gender. It doesn't matter uh, what uh, gender they are. Uh, I guess the, on, on the one hand, she doesn't get to say much. Then again... Nobody really says no. too much, <laughs> but the it's interesting. I feel like possibly in a lesser film or maybe a bigger Hollywood budget film, that's a love interest for Max, isn't it? I suppose so, but yeah, I guess um, is he uh, too nihilistic for that at this point? Well, uh, 
I think in this film, in this film, yeah, but yeah, in a conventional film, absolutely, yeah, yeah, he's he's that they're they're getting together. That's right. you know, they're driving off with the new nuclear family, literally, little feral mate. Yeah, dog's dead though. The dog's dead. Awful, awful. What an awful moment. Yeah, and that's the Hollywood Hollywood trope too. Yeah, I mean, the dog doesn't survive, does he? No. No, no. or she. Uh, yeah. Didn't, it, didn't see the bits, wasn't sure. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't remember. Not, not many people survive, actually, in no. this film. Um, before, so I want to get into the museum uh, that you went sure, to yeah. and uh, talk a little bit more about that. But one of the things I wanted to ask you was, do you remember the, the advertising campaign in the paper when you were a kid or were you too young for that? I'm going to say too young. Yeah. Yeah. The, the advertising campaign was big like from my perspective as uh, as a kid it was up there with like jaws and things like mm-hmm. that and from what i remember there was one picture of max maybe the gyrocopter as well and then there were uh this was a series of ads but then it was Wes, it was uh, humongous. There was the guy with a mechanical arm. I don't even remember what his name was. And I don't think he really even appears in the movie that much, but he had his own picture. And I found that stuff to be really sort of equal parts a bit scary. And also I could not stop looking at Mm. them. And... Then when I finally saw the movie, I thought that was full on. And now when I look back on it, I think this is really camp. What it's, is happening here? <laughs> it's like, I think we mentioned it last time, but yeah, there's a little bit of Roadrunner happening yes. uh, to an extent, you know, probably more in the third one. But yeah. um, there's definitely aspects of, you know, the sort of slapstick and, you know, think vehicular sort of uh, hijinks. Uh, yep. Yeah, it, it's not an intensely dark or particularly foreboding experience is it it's sort of an adrenaline rush yeah and um, it's funny isn't it because it's like post nuclear war everything's lawless you know who can you trust and then there's just funny scenes where they're like one person's yelling to another person to pass on a message like that's a really (laughs) funny scene yep Where's losing his fingers? Where's losing his fingers is hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, that the campaign set an agenda for me as a uh, as a kid until you know, and then it took me a while to be able to see it because it was at the cinema and I was too young to go. I remember uh, going back through the posters though and looking at the. I think it was the Road Warrior US one where he's right. basically set up as Judge Dredd. That you know, he's got a full ma- face mask on. Right. He's got a hel- he's got the helmet. <clears throat> he's standing on top of the interceptor, yes. but there's no Mel Gibson sort of reference there. Yes. So it's sort of a more airbrushed, iconic sort of look. Yeah. Where there's no yeah. So again, sort of down that line of Charlie Sheen in the Wraith. Right. And that sort of stuff down the you know through the eighties as well. Yeah. yeah. It, I think there was uh, initially no use of Mel Gibson in the posters mm. because nobody knew who Mel Gibson was so I think even the trailer barely had him in it no. and it was all the car chases and yep. the stunts yeah uh, the, the exploitation uh, industry and genre also uh, leans into the full-on stunt work and is that is that stunt work does that come about because they don't have the budget or is that just I think they're just, just all insane insane right <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name um, of the stuntman. Someone will remind me. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they just 
they were just nuts yeah and doing their own I mean you know Tarantino famously references it in Death Proof with right. the, uh, you know all those car stunts but yeah those guys were just doing it because they were mental yeah and just loved doing it yeah and absolutely no, you know the green screen technology wasn't there yeah what's the point I, there was a I won't say which movie in case I ruin it for anyone else but there was a movie that I really loved that had all these great car scenes uh, this was this is probably going back about 15 years now and I was absolutely shocked as to how much of it was green screen mm. and on the one hand you can say wow that looks incredibly realistic but it doesn't compare to like Steve McQueen and Bullet or no, the scenes in no, this no, no sense of you know danger or you know you you, your brain still sort of connects with the fact that you know the special effects are there because that's what you're used to. Yeah. Whereas there's that very visceral sense of like <clears throat> that guy could get crushed. Yeah. That's definitely enough. That's a truck coming at him. Yeah. You know he's got to get out of the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, over the last twenty years or so, I guess we've just become sort of numb to the fact that everything's on wires. Yeah. On we see all the DVDs, you know, commentaries and all the like special features and everything, and. Um, it just becomes a case of, well, we know how it works. Yeah. Whereas they actually were doing it, and that's just how it happened. It's a bummer when you know how things work. <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah, all the magic's gone. Uh, <laughs> I try not to watch any of that. Uh, I remember right. when DVDs first came out with the extras, and it was like... Well, it was like The Matrix was like, you know, getting away from... Well, it was shot in Sydney, so I guess it's right. a little bit on point. Um, but yeah, fascinated by that technology, but the more and more it sucks the joy out of how things are actually produced and yeah. made. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm a big believer in uh, not watching too many made fours. Mm. <laughs> I am just, now, yeah. 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 Um, so you went to the Mad Max Museum. Can you explain to anyone where that is and how did you discover it and what it's like? Sure. Um, so over the last six weeks, yep. I guess, I have covered about four and a half thousand kilometers in the not the interceptor the corolla right uh not quite as cool but you know close there we go uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I drove down from brisbane to broken hill over about two days broken hills where i'm from so it's about 1600 kilometers yep uh because of things and we can talk about that later if you want uh, so Mad Max Museum is in Silverton, which is a small former mining community about 20 k's outside of Broken Hill. Yep. And a lot of Mad Max 2 was obviously shot out there. Uh, there's, there's a lot of scenes like um, towards the end of the film that they shot at Monday Monday Plains, things right. like that. Um, on the way into town, I tried to go to the area where the gyro captain and Max first meet. Oh, yeah. But that's all been fenced off because... As the owner told me, they don't want hoons in there. Right. Which seems a little bit, you know, counter, what? counterintuitive, considering what the film is. Right. Um, why? why uh, people go in there and do donuts, right. which I thought would have been perfect. But what is there? <laughs> so it's just a creek. Yeah, that's what it's I mean. Cre- it's a creek and trees. Right. But they've, yeah, they had enough. People, <laughs> people going in there, having a few beers. Right. And just doing donuts. On but, a creek bed. By the way, I love that scene because it always makes me think, how long has he been hiding in the dirt? Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Spence, that's what he does. Right. That's how his teeth got like that. Right. It explains a lot. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's funny. So they've fenced they off fenced that, that whole off. section. Uh, they've fenced off the area where the uh, refinery set was, uh, where they first um, faced down Humongous. Yeah. Um, because that's now a mining lease. Right. Um, and it's also got, um, and also understandably, although... 
terrifyingly, there's a mining lease and Indigenous sacred grounds right. within the same sort of small zone, as yep. was explained to me. So it's sort of yeah that great Australian tale of bloody mining industry right. getting in there as well. Um, so, yeah, a lot of the uh, places in Broken Hill where things were shot are no longer accessible, but you can drive out to the Mundy Mundy Plains and look there. And then the museum is, uh, yeah, as I said, in Silverton and has a growing collection of cars and things that have been donated from two um, props. They've got, like, um, Max's suit, things like that. Right. Um, there's a... One of the actual gyrocopters has been reassembled there. Oh, cool. Um, there's a... They don't have the interceptor. I think that's in America, but... Which is also sacrilege. Right. Uh, but they've got a lot of the other cars. They've got the uh, snake truck... And nearby, there's a camel farm. <laughs> right. Where they're rebuilding a um, scale mock-up of the refinery set as a tourist attraction as well. So you'll be able to go out there and sleep in the refinery set. Hilarious. Have, have the school bus yep. drive across. I don't know if they'll do re-enact- reenactments or anything, but it's well, all sort of coming together. <laughs> may as well go the full hog. Yeah. So, so who started this and when did it start? Uh, there's a bloke called Adrian Bennett who um, I have interviewed, and I can give you that interview to put up somewhere if you'd like. Oh, yeah, um, just great. As a, just, they're just um, uh, magazine pages. But um, he's a Englishman who came out here about 15 years ago. Right. Uh, loved the movie from when it was released and thought, bugger it, I'm bringing my family. Yeah. We're going to set up a Mad Max 2 museum. <laughs> right. Why not? And he's been there ever since. I met him in 2013, I think, and he's... Since then, he's added some Fury Road stuff for the collection. Right. Um, and, yeah, he and his wife are just really dedicated to that museum. And, it, I mean, you know, I went there the first day it reopened. It was getting, like, you know, 50 heads through the door in the first hour. Oh, wow. So, clearly, people are into it. Wow. Yeah. Because my next question was going to be, who's going? Grey nomads. Right. <laughs> they identify. It's, yeah, they you know people with their RVs or they're like you know their big custom choppers. Yep, are all heading out there, and that's part of the road trip. Well, I guess it's <laughs> even if you're not necessarily a Mad Max devotee, you if you like cars and mm. things like that, it's going to be interesting yeah. as well. Yep, and it's not and just the iconography of the film. Like you know, it's just part of the the tourist, tourism industry out in that area. Yeah because it's free to go and look at an expanse of red dirt and sky. Yeah, right. And it's, you know, you can spend half... You can go to the pub after you've done that, go and look at the cars. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll do my Broken Hill tourist hat for that one, sure. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, tourism hat, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And so... And it's getting... Fury Road, does it have anything from the third movie? Is it expanding or is it... Uh, my original chat with... Um, Adrian was, he was no fan of the third one, right. surprisingly. Right. Um, didn't really give a shit. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, but you know what's funny about that is that's Ben Elwood's favourite because he saw it as first a, okay. as a kid. Yep. So I reckon if you absolutely come in hot with that one. They just need Mel's wig. Uh, right. <laughs> a few of those. Uh, but uh, yeah, he specifically focused on two, although he's a big fan of one as well. But yep. um, two was the one that brought him in as for, based on the aesthetic and you know, coming from the UK around being a young man during punk. Yeah. So sort of seeing that aesthetic transfer to the big screen. Yeah. Um, as an aside, I was thinking of someone else that it probably influenced, Rob Liefeld. Oh, right. <laughs> thinking about shoulder pads, thinking about oh, knee yeah. pads. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. 
so it's not all good. Well, yeah, they've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really got to think about some of the work that I was they've about done. Motley Crue, I was thinking about Rob Liefeld, and I was like, well, you know, it does look like a lot of uh, '80s hair metal bands. Mm, absolutely, uh, like, yeah, that's really fun. You know, the it's fascinating. The first movie to the second movie. The second movie is it's larger in not just the sense of scale of the you know the budget etc but also the idea of it is more mythic mm. and do you know why they went into that realm or was it just did that just come with the bigger budget i was thinking about that a little bit today especially um you know the the sort of preamble to the film is about the nuclear war yeah. and how uh having just been in melbourne and the first one, obviously, was made in Melbourne. Yep. And sort of ref- reflecting on Melbourne post-COVID. Right. And how... You haven't, have you been down there since? Yes. Yes. Like, Brunswick Street looks like a sort of, you know, all the boarded-over um, shops. Right. All the graffiti all over the facades and all the rest. Sort right. Of, you can sort of see that sort of crumbling notion yep. coming up, I yep. guess, sadly. Um and sort of thinking about that sort of new barbaric thing that was starting to happen in the first one. Right. And then it tips over into the nuclear war. Um, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know if it was a budget thing. The first one obviously did well. Yeah. Enough to go there. Um, and then I was also thinking about ideas around climate change as well, having been dri- driving around a lot. Yeah. And how that would be probably the plot of a, you know... A reboot, so wouldn't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, well, it, it's a little bit that in Fury Road, isn't it? Little, it's yeah, the, yeah, you know, that's more about water. Yeah. yeah, less about petrol. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. well, land, Yeah, uh, sorry, that was a big tangled answer. No, but, no, no, um, no, no, yeah. no. But that's it. Also, makes sense. Do you think it was a? It is just a kind of a nuclear war, and the environment is affected. Yeah, post nuclear wars, it's less it's, it's environmentalism. Less environmentalism, isn't it? yeah. I mean, there was the yeah the petrol, the oil strike, obviously, and all the stuff in the seventies was tied into it. But now it's like, um, you know, go and plug your interceptor Tesla in instead. I guess if right. You're do that and uh, find the wind farm. Yeah, uh, it's such a even the way it starts with that narration and he. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in some ways, not entirely, but in some ways, Max is a supporting character in his own movie. Mm. Like, do you know how many lines of dialogue he has? I think it's 16. Yeah. Yeah. And one line's like, repeated twice. Yes. <laughs> and I think Arnie in The Terminator probably had a, you know, roughly the same right. amount of lines. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, James Cameron said that was a big... In- uh, Road Warrior. Yes. Mad Max 2 yeah. was a big influence yep. on Terminator. Um, and... It's it's interesting because Max is almost mythic, isn't he? Mm. he? We go from knowing that character in the first film and he's just become something else. Mm. And he's also an interesting character because he's not really... And it, it kind of repeats all the way through. He's not really there for the people. He's, no, he's there for a, himself. He's not a willing participant yeah. until he sees the advantage yeah. in some sense of, you know, helping... Yes. inverted commas to you know advance his own cause and then go back to driving around moping or, right yeah. yeah what does <laughs> yeah. he do well exactly like I've just done that it's not that fun no <laughs> feels like it's a bit of hard work actually it's a lot of hard work uh, at least there's more petrol stations at the moment you know yeah <laughs> yeah you, you had you, you 
you got more petrol stations, but you missed out on having a dog that could hold a gun. I've been a, asking for a dog, but yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for people who don't know, you, uh, you and your partner have, uh, uh, have had a, a situation where yes. uh, she's had to go back with your kid to New Zealand for family things and you weren't allowed over That's right, yep. at the very last second. Yes, correct. Like, at the airport. At the airport, yeah. Oh, as man. as teased on the Alice Fraser episode, I believe. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that was uh, nearly two months ago now, I think. And we won't go into the grim details of it. But, yeah, uh, the travel exemptions weren't there. Yeah. We had to make a decision about what was best for the extended family. Right. And that decision was that they had to go and I wouldn't. Yeah. So the alternative for me was get in the car and drive what's now been about 4,000 Ks and will end up being about 5,000. Right. <laughs> as at the end of this week. And are they coming back soon? I'm going over there. You're going I over think. there. Right. There's a bubble. Right. As, no, oh, yes. Knock on wood, as of Sunday, yep. the 11th of April. Uh, not going to get too far ahead of ourselves, but... Uh, no, you uh, know what? Not being allowed to go over is one thing, and you can argue that, pros and cons, etc. Mm. But finding out at the airport when you're ready to go... That is. We won't reference any uh, former Home Affairs ministers or uh, no. raised, fists raised to the air you know, in the sky in rage or anything. But, yeah, um, yeah deeply frustrating. And, um, yeah, I mean, obviously, there are a lot of people in this situation, but it, it's still uh, pretty infuriating to, to yeah. get to that point. But as a consequence, I've gotten to go and see a lot of people and yeah. do this road trip and sort of, uh, I guess, reconnect uh, Accidentally, with a lot of the themes we'll be talking about as well, yep. as we go through all of these movies, because they're all made in the areas that I've been travelling through. Yeah. Um, Do they still resemble the the well, movies? Well, this is why I was thinking about the climate change stuff, is because they look so much fucking worse in some spots. Oh right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you go through some of the areas where films we'll talk about later on were shot, and they just. You know, the water's completely gone. Yep. Um, you know, there's blue-green algae. There's, like, things are decimated. The soil's yep. all eroded. Um, it's just a sort of continuing uh, sort of disaster zone out there. You know, early... You know, it is the wasteland. It is the wasteland. <laughs> and you I know, didn't even go that fast west, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember... Uh, years and years and years ago with Michael Chamberlain and Terry Siakas going to do uh, some gigs around Swan Hill, Mildura area, and this was around when they'd had really bad drought, and so the government pumped in money to send entertainment there to, you know, do these really cheap shows for the people, and uh, when we were in Swan Hill, I remember there was this really strange smell of fish throughout the town, and that came from the river the murray river there yeah, yeah it just it dried up and all the fish were there yeah. and they had to remove them so when the tractors came in with the with the nets because they'd been baked the nets hit them and they and next minute you know they just turned to dust and they couldn't get rid of the smell and it's so, a, so we say thank you to the National Party in uh, Queensland for that one. Yes. Uh, the Liberal Party as well, uh, because all the uh, cotton and rice farming up in the northeast of New South Wales and southeast of Queensland yep. has tapped all the water. So that by the time it gets down there, it's all pretty much not drinkable. You can't shower in it. Right. Uh, obviously, fish can't live in it. Um, I went to uh, the Menindee Lakes, uh, where some of 
uh, there's a few sh- scenes of Mad Max 2 shot out there. Uh, that water's green. Right. And I just saw a forlorn cod pop his little head up and just sort of gasp and just right. roll on his back while I was just like Far standing. Out. Yeah, it's, it's just grim. Yeah. And it's the sort of stuff that, you know, George Miller was, you know, Having you know tapping into yeah. um, and foreseeing and it's yeah we are there to some extent we just don't have the arseless chaps yet to well we do right. but we're just not wearing them yeah well <laughs> we not in public <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll talk more about the museum as we yes. go along with the next lot of uh, movies I tell you what this makes me really miss the Australian version of Mel Gibson the non well it's probably racist but yeah the one we didn't know was racist well <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know yeah. but, but that's what i mean like that's part of the yeah the guy that was just great in mad max was wonderful in gallipoli yes like yeah. like he's phenomenal that is a phenomenal film uh you know then he's making all sorts of things and then it's just where, where did he t- i mean yeah i guess it's a tangent but where did he where did he taper off was it it was sometime around was it before Braveheart? Uh, or around then? Because he made I stuff feel- like What Women Want and that sort of stuff after... Right. Yeah, that was like 98, I think. Right. Yeah. That's a good question, actually. It's like... I, it rolls I up to Lethal Weapon 2, maybe. Yeah. Um, definitely don't think 3's on the, on the radar. No. 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 Um, yeah, that is interesting, because he's... Uh, He's kind of fun and a bit of a leading man. But remember, you'd see interviews with him. And he was, when he was this age, he was really quite nervous and Mm. almost monosyllabic in some of his interviews. And then he really finds this new kind of openness, but it's still on the edge. Mm. Like, you'd watch him and you'd go, oh, this is... This is a bit manic, and that, that, it's that, that kind of energy that he does bring to these early roles. Yes. Year of Living Dangerously, yes. another yeah. beautiful performance and great performance. Uh, and so when, when he's not talking, he's still kind of bristling with this kind of uh, unspoken energy, and, and, and he's also charismatic, so you're always say, watching yeah, There's him. just so much charisma there at that point. Far out. Yeah. Like, it's um, so... And that's, you know... They could hang the films off him completely, like, and he could not have to do much. Yeah, and still play second fiddle and yeah, just so watchable. Oh man, it's well. Thank goodness we still have this. Um, <laughs> yes, where, where do you right. rank this in the list of Mad Max films? Is this your favourite? I'd probably say yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I Obviously, think it's still it's, my favourite. Yeah, it's it's one four one. Oh, sorry, it's two four one three. I guess if you're going to go the. Yeah. The Star Wars yeah, <laughs> yeah. list. Yeah. Um, like, Fury Road is... Rewatching that was... It, it was... I was chastising myself. Why am I not watching this every six months? That's right. Yeah, did you watch... Have you watched the um, Blood and Chrome or the Black and... Oh, yeah. no, I haven't watched that. I don't think it's as... I mean, it, it's an interesting exercise, but I, we'll get to it. But yeah, I don't think it's as... Um, compelling as because the colors just so the colors you know, spectacular yeah yeah uh, so yeah as a interesting oddity yeah it's fine but yeah i'd stick with the the, the original color version yeah that makes sense to me i've never really had any interest in watching that version because of what you just said which yeah. are the colors are phenomenal uh and i think you lose a little bit of the action too in the black in the black and white right like you know it, 
the the composition of the shots are beautiful, but the some of it gets just a little bit sort of incomprehensible, right? Especially in the nighttime scenes, right? Yeah. Okay, and. In- the, do these movies make coherent sense or do we eventually... Is like the first film the the real story of Max and then are we seeing with second, third and fourth the legend of Max? Because it's almost yeah. like... It feels like each film George Miller remakes... And sort of updates. And updates. And because, you know, like the third film... For me, you know, is not the best of the mm. four, but it's fascinating how much the third informs the fourth in quite a few ways, from storyline to aesthetic yep. and all of that stuff. Yeah, I'll take it as a narrative. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, mean, I mean, the origin story is obviously on you know on the nose in several aspects, but I sort of like Goose and the yeah, you know, Toe Cutter and all those guys. Oh and yeah, I mean, Toe Cutter dies. Yeah, but you know the idea that he could be um, Immortan Joe, right? Is still sort of fun. Yeah, you know if he'd sort of you know they'd resurrected him or <laughs> dragged <laughs> right. him off to like the Lazarus Pit or whatever. Yeah, uh, <laughs> who knows not? what's yeah. going on in this world, right? Yeah, um, I think that's you know that's fun to think about. More so, you know, also yeah, they, they also act as individual sort of components. So yeah, yeah why not? Why not? Yeah, who cares? Are they going to make the next film? I was thinking about that today too. It was a long drive. Um, was it Anya Taylor-Joy that was supposed yeah. to be taking over as Furiosa? Yeah. That's the last thing I saw. That's the last thing I um, saw as well. It sounded positive. It sounded like Charlize was sad. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't want her to be sad. I don't want her to be sad. No, Make it all. like Godfather Part 2. <laughs> yeah. Have young <laughs> Furiosa and older Furiosa and go back and forth between the two. Mm. Irishman. Right. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> or, or not. No. <laughs> I was really into the Irishman. I thought oh, it was just, great. Just not young De Niro. Oh yeah. No. Well, it's it's funny. I kind of justified that young CGI because the thing was he walked like an old man. Mm. But in the old days, young people did walk like old people. So mm. that's how that's I justified true. it that's in my head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They probably should have gotten actors. It's all right. Yeah. But I still enjoyed it. It's Martin. It's all right. Yeah. yeah. We'll let him go. Yeah. Uh, I have some uh, a few squid bits for you that you may or may not know that I sure. thought were interesting to throw your way. Uh, George Miller was inspired by a few films. One was a 1975 film. Have you heard of this? A Boy and His Dog. No. Check this out. Set in 2024, post-nuclear war America, an 18-year-old boy called Vic and his telepathic dog, Blood, work together as a team in order to survive the dangerous wasteland. Billed as an American black comedy science fiction film based on the 1969 novella of the same name by Harlan Ellison. Right. Guess who it stars? Go. Go. Don Johnson. <laughs> I feel like I might give this movie a go if mm, I can find I'm it. Do it yeah. I love Don. We can do a yeah, parallel series. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never heard of that book. No, not that at movie. all. No, yeah. no. Young Don. Young Don. Uh, another influence was the 1953 Western Shane. Mm-hmm. Uh, the relationship between Max and the feral boy was directly inspired by the kinship between Shane and little Joey Starrett yep. in the Western. Uh, and Miller also supposedly drew inspiration from Japanese director Akira Kurosawa's series of samurai films. Feels like Akira really needs... Yeah. 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 Is, is there a director from the... What? 70s, 80s, that wasn't? That wasn't, yeah. Yeah. 
Famously George Lucas, of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was I think that was the first time I was across mm. the name. Yeah, yeah. Um, at the time, this was the most expensive film production in Australian history. Uh, a total of eighty custom-made prop vehicles were used during the production, and more than half were destroyed during filming. So, I guess some of them have made their way they, to the museum and have been rebuilt since. Yeah, yeah. So they've had the collectors of yeah dug them up and sort of reconstructed them. So yeah, it's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, great. Uh, the original opening of the Road Warrior was far different than what appears in the final version. In the original opening footage that was shot but ultimately discarded, Max was shown cruising by a farm being burgled by Wes and his henchmen with the owner's corpses dangling from a tree limb in the yes. front yard. That's what this film needed. Yeah, More Aunt, Aunt Baru. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uncle Owen. Yeah. <laughs> and as Max's interceptor vehicle is heard roaring in the distance, Wes reacts by hopping on his motorcycle and beginning his pursuit. A small passage of time ensures before the opening of the film as it now continues i quite like yes yeah, yeah. i'm i'm not so into that i like the, the there's enough violence in this film i like, think so yeah, yeah. it's starting it's giving us yeah. the sense of what's going on is much better absolutely yeah. so here's an uplifting story for you Dog was scheduled to be euthanized in a shelter the day before he was picked up to appear I did in the know film. that yeah yeah, yeah. And uh, the loud engines on set made Dog upset, so he was given earplugs and was adopted by a camera operator after production wrapped. Supposedly got along, loved um, Gyrocopter. Uh, and uh, uh, Gyrocopter what's his name Bruce, Bruce Spence yeah, Bruce yeah. Spence I went to say Bruce Stern Bruce Spence loved him and so when they'd have those scenes where they had to fight he would just play with them and get him into a state and he was having such a good time and then they'd just do some judicious editing and then add some angry noises overwards but the dog was having a great time with perfect. him perfect so that's nice that's a nice story uh the I've already told you, Warrior Woman was originally written to be a man and the Golden Youth was originally written to be a woman. The shot of the biker slamming into the car, flying over the hood and somersaulting toward the camera was an accident. <laughs> the shot was so thrilling, they opted to keep the shot in the final cut. So I think he was meant to hit it. I think he was meant to jump over, but when I think he flew over Just and he flipped. did... And he did more. Anyway, the stumpman broke his leg and nearly lost his life in the process. But great oh, well, scene. Film. Yeah. Yeah. Con- contribution. Mate, we all remember it. <laughs> yeah. Far out. <laughs> now it's like, oh, I've put my neck out on a wire in front of this green screen. <laughs> Meanwhile, this guy's nearly Shut losing it down his life. For six months. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the oil refinery blowing up was done for real. I didn't realise that, but yeah, they I really think, yeah, blew yeah. that up. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's the same interceptor from the first movie. Over 200 stunts. Uh, and here's two things that I thought you would enjoy. It was really cold on set, and Mel Gibson nicknamed Vernon Wells, who played Wes, yes. Barometer Bum, because every time his butt cheeks went purple, they'd send everyone into the bus to warm up. It's bloody cold in the desert. It's really cold. It's really cold. So yeah. they worked it out by his bum. Barometer Bum. <laughs> that really takes the edge off what Wes. About the, uh, yeah, during the day, was he slip slop slapping or whatever? Yeah, or, well. Yeah. And putting on some something to stop him from getting burned as well. And then also this made me laugh a lot. Vernon Wells said that Golden Youth wasn't a sexual partner. He was a boy he'd found and recognised and became a surrogate father too because uh, George Miller told the actors to just make up your own backstories. Now, mm-hmm. I reckon that's the backstory Vernon Wells came up with, but that is not the movie they shot. Sure isn't. <laughs> Sure, isn't it? <laughs> you know when you're reading something and you're going... I mean, Vernon Wells going on to play Bennett 
in com- commando as right. not particularly <laughs> straight. No. Yeah. So he had a thing he was doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fine, Vernon. Fine. Yeah. No need to no need to justify. <laughs> none. None whatsoever. We uh, love you. That's a that just made me laugh because I was like, I feel like he made yeah. a very different. I think film. George Miller might have just let you yeah run yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine the doctor hanging out with everyone. Yeah, he doesn't realise what's going on with this film. Sure, buddy. Uh, now, if you could just get your chaps on and your little tail. Yep. and <laughs> We'll be right. Yeah. Well, that was great. And so we'll put uh, some of the interview up. Maybe we'll uh, tr- uh, chop up the interview and add bits to it over the Mad Max uh, mm-hmm. uh, films that we're doing. So we'll jump into the third film next. Uh, any Terrifying. Last... So I've got... Horrifying. Two yeah. quick questions before yep. I let you go. One is, any last thoughts on Mad Max 2? Anything that we should have discussed? I think we've covered it off pretty well. Does it... Um, I, in the exploitation world, where, where would you rate it? I was just going to say, one thing I was thinking was, like, having been out there, um, how much bloody red dust they would have been inhaling every day as well oh, would have been yeah. a... Yeah heroic feat having come back with a lung full of it as you can probably hear yeah yeah yeah. still still getting rid of it yeah Uh, in terms of the genre it must be up there in the it's got to be right at the top right yeah I'd have to think pretty hard yeah you know Razorback's probably up there giving it a little bit of a go but probably not that much <laughs> right so I have not seen Razorback since Look, I was I a kid we'll at the cinema yeah. and we should yeah I was hoping we would get mm. to that because Russell Mulcahy fantastic right yeah and and Tangerine Dream right so funny I remember that being great but I also remember being 10 when I saw mm. it <laughs> The pig, you know, is about as realistic as uh, Bruce the shark. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. You can tell he's been pushed backwards and forwards on a wheelbarrow. Yeah. But, you know, that's fine. And so for everyone listening, uh, just so you, you can work out the chronological chronology of when we recorded this... Um, I've just done a two-hour interview this afternoon, which by the time people hear this will have already been out, with Ben Elwood about Zack Snyder's Justice League. Do you want to give me a tight two minutes on your thoughts on that? Where do you start? Right. Uh, Where would you like to start? No, just give Um, me overall thoughts, because I'll, I'll tell you that Ben and I came to the conclusion that... So he had this theory, which we applied, which was... You have to watch the Joss Whedon one and then watch that one back to back. And I, because I'd already watched Justice League, so I did that. That's that's perverse. It was full on. (laughs) But what it does is it kind of, even though I didn't particularly like the Zack Snyder Justice League, at least you get a pure vision. My, My recommendation would be that I bought a bottle of very cheap whiskey. Right. And I ensured that it lasted the entire four hours. Wow. Um, which is pretty revelationary, re- re- revelatory for me. Yeah. Um, and I guess that helped paper over the cracks. Uh, yeah, I recently rewatched a Joss Whedon one as well. Obviously, that helps contextualise oh. just how much utter shit was sort of put in there to sort of... Try. Well, change the tone. Yeah. You know, bring it into that sort of jaunty jossy sort of world that it just doesn't exist in yeah um i thought you know the superfluous stuff like aquaman aquaman having the the choir of ladies singing to Uh, him for like three or four minutes right hilarious that could have been white stripes yeah uh please um 
but yeah, it's very, yeah, just the portent and just you know overly you know, grim, dark everything. It's a struggle, but it's sort of entertaining, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where we decided, like, I'm really up for more Mad Max movies. Yeah, I'm not really up for new Zack Snyder superhero films, but I will go and see them. I think the. <laughs> The uh, coda with Martian... I mean, Martian Manhunter looks like shit, too, was one of the... Yeah. <laughs> yeah but that the TV show, them. the Supergirl did that better than you guys. Yeah. yeah. And why was he gaslighting Martha and Lois? Right. Oh, sorry, why was he gaslighting Lois yeah. as Martha? Yeah. Just these bizarre ideas that, you know, never get really paid off. Yeah. And Darkseid, obviously, will get his ass kicked because he got his ass kicked by, you know, Zack's bodybuilder friend who was Hercules. Right. When he shot that in the backyard. Right. And, <laughs> It's just sort of, I don't know. What a strange the fans movie. loved it. It's all the Snyder Cut fans. Yeah. Just, I love to read the hashtag and just see the, just the frothing lunacy. Of yeah. <laughs> that was fun. The dedication. Yeah. It's funny. The, you, you look back at Road Warrior with a, a minute version of that budget compared to mm. Justice League. And you look back and you go, look what you can make with yeah. not much. It actually turns out if you challenge yourself and don't, you know, you've got sort of um, parameters you need to abide by, yeah. you can actually create something really cool and, you know, visceral and yeah. entertaining. And how is how is Max Rockefeller more mythic? Rock, Rock, Rockefeller. Is it Rockefeller? Rockatansky. Rockatansky. Yeah. <laughs> the billionaire. It's been a long day. very different. Yeah. That's, uh, he, well, he, yeah, he would, could have been Batman. He could have, he could have been Batman. He could have had all the cars. Yeah. But how, how is he more mythic than... Yeah. Any Superman and Batman and all of them. Yeah, mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Uh, mind-blowing. I just... I mean, I just even... You know, that, just the stuff that's... You know, we're going to cut Steppenwolf's head off. We're going to kick it through the portal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, incredible. It was all uh, a lot of fun. Well, I'd much prefer talking about Mad Max with you. That is yes, uh, definite. Uh, but uh, I've got heaps of thoughts on it, but I just... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it just sort of boggles my mind that anyone thought that that was going to be something that we needed to see. Yeah. But I, I feel like I did need to see it, and I've seen it. Yeah. And I don't want to see Mira and Deathstroke and nah. Joker. And Atom? <laughs> Atom. Well, was he there? Yeah, though, that was uh, Oh, yeah, Roy he was Jordan. too, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, none of the... You know, the, the Legends of Tomorrow TV show is probably the place yeah. to go if you want to see that. Go and enjoy that. you might actually enjoy yourself. Could we get a car to... Uh, what is that? That's a CW channel. Could we yes. get... Uh, how would Mad Max work in that world? <laughs> in the CW world? Yeah. Less intense. Less in, what would the, what's that? Uh, who plays Robin? The guy from Home... One of the Home and Away guys? Oh, right. Bre- Brendan Thwaites or something? Right. There you go. There we go. We've got it. Young Max. Yeah, Young Max. That's <laughs> yeah. what we call young Max. it. Yeah. Adventures of Young Max. He's not quite as angry. He hasn't got his licence. He's on his L's. Yeah. <laughs> Can only lose 90. Yeah. It's him, it's him being angry, driving around with his mum, because yeah. he's always wanted to go faster. <laughs> he just uh, drives on the M5. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. All right. Uh, thanks cool. for that. And I look forward to discussing uh, the next Mad Max film with Excellent. you. Limo and Garth for being my guest today. Remember, you can read Garth's interview with the curator of the Mad Max Museum over at our private Facebook page and also check out Garth's work on Instagram at Past the Amel. 
That's at past the Amel. He's also got a piece turning up in issue two of the weird fiction mag Creeper. And remember, anyone can join our private page. It's just private so we can discuss TV, movies, books, etc. without fear of spoilers. I love our gang over there, so come and join in with all of the conversations that are bubbling along there. If you have time to say hello to Lemo, easy to find him, L-E-H-M-O, on the socials or Garth or any of my regular guests on this podcast. I'd be thrilled if you let them know you're enjoying their work. It means a lot to me. And uh, if you have time to post a top review of the podcast over at Apple Podcasts, that would be appreciated too. I feel like I'm asking a lot of you today. Sorry. I only do any of this if you have time or the inclination. And just a little reminder as well, it's perfectly okay not to do any of this. As long as you're enjoying the podcast, that's actually all I really care about. I hope you're having a good time here. I'm having a good time. I'm loving all my guests, I'm loving the work that we're doing, and I'm loving the feedback from you, and uh, it's great to have your company. Let's finish today with a quote from American writer Francine Duplexus Gray. We write out of revenge against reality to dream and enter the lives of others. Until then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.